you have your Bibles, open up once again to Romans chapter 12. As we uh, continue in this series, we're going to pick up this morning where we left off last week. So if you would all stand with me as we honor God's word, we're going to begin reading in Romans 12 verse 4. Paul says, for just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the portion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality... He who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Lord, we know it is, uh, God, just so powerful, so true for our lives. And I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would reveal that truth to us. That you would open our eyes to see things the way that you do. That we'd be transformed from the inside out and would know you more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When we first started uh, chapter 12 in Romans, I talked about how this was a big transition in Paul's letter. The first 11 chapters, he spent pretty much laying out nothing but doctrine as he wrote about sin and God's sovereignty and his remedy for sin and grace in Jesus Christ and our identity in him. And then here in chapter 12, he transitions from all that doctrine to application. The first 11 chapters were, here's the good news. And now in chapter 12, it's the, this is what you do with that good news. This is how you should live in response to what God has done for you in Jesus. This is how you adjust your life from living as an orphan to now living as a favored son and daughter. This is how life is lived in the kingdom of God versus how your life has been lived according to your own kingdom. I want you to notice the progression that has been happening here in the verses that we've read so far. He first starts off the chapter by saying that this new life in Christ under the new covenant that Jesus' death ushered in, this new life is not like The old life that was lived under the old covenant. Life under the old covenant was nothing but a works-based, effort-driven obligation to God. But life now in Jesus under the new covenant is a love-based act of worship. It's life lived from a want-to rather than a have-to. And then he says that in order to live this way, we have to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And then when your mind is renewed by Christ-exalting truth, you start to act and make decisions that line up with God's will. That's verses 1 and 2. And then last week we looked at verse 3, which continues this progression and addresses the most important aspect of a renewed mind, which is the fact that pride in us is put to death and humility begins to grow. Now, every statement that Paul made in these first three verses was built 
on the statement that he made right before it. And let's look at all this in reverse. And you see how this all is built and works together. So verse 3, the obliteration of pride and the cultivation of humility is a result of knowing and doing God's will. Discerning God's will comes from a renewed mind. Having our minds renewed results in inner transformation. Inner transformation results in our life being lived as an act of worship to God. A lot of times we will quote a phrase or a verse from those three verses and and use it as a standalone statement or a standalone verse. But as you can see now... No one phrase or verse from any of that should be divorced from the verses and phrases around them. They, they all go together and are built on one another. And today we're going to see why verse 3 is crucial to the verses that we just read, verses 4 through 8. And we also have a transition here. Paul transitions again right between verse 3 and 4. You see, everything that Paul wrote in these first three verses was to us as individuals. He's saying, you, as an individual, redeemed by faith in Jesus Christ, you be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that you may know what the will of God is. And then in verse 3, measure the way that you see yourself by the way that you see Jesus. But now in verse 4, he shifts from telling us what we should do as individuals to telling us what we should do corporately. He shifts from me to we. Or if he was writing this letter to the church in Texas, it would be from you to (laughs) y'all. This corporate communal way of life that he's talking about, Paul is not writing this as if this were an option for us. He's saying that the reason for the renewed mind, the reason why you need to be able to discern God's will, the reason why we should kill pride and cultivate cultivate humility individually is so that we can live in relation to one another in community. This is the whole purpose of verses 1, 2, and 3. But you see, in our the current state of our culture today... Most of us still aren't convinced of the absolute necessity for Christians to live in community. I don't believe we've quite got it yet. I'm afraid we still don't really see the need of being heart deep in relationship with one another. And that should be of concern to us because if we apply gospel truth just to us as individuals, we will not experience and fully know God the way that he wants us to. If we take all the truth out of those first 11 chapters of Romans and terminate all that solely on ourselves, then we will not be able to process life accurately from God's perspective. I mean, you just won't. Because this is the way that God designed us and designed his church. The sad thing is, because we've allowed uh, culture to influence us so much, rather than us influencing culture, most American churches today are nothing more than a place where individuals go for their own personal spiritual growth. 
rather than a place that individuals work together in humility for the betterment of the whole body and the glory of God. You know, over the years, I believe that we, talking about the American church as a whole, have overemphasized the personal aspect of a relationship with God. And by doing so, we've either, either forgotten or we just don't know how crucial the communal, the, the community aspect of a relationship with God really is. And most American churches today are viewed as and used the same way that we would a big box store like Walmart or Lowe's. We come into church and we get those things that we think we need in order to improve our lives. We come in here like we would a big box store and we pick and say, okay, well, I want this Sunday school class and I want that Bible study and I want the, the, the 1045 service instead of the 830 service. And so we pick and choose these things that we think are going to improve our life much the way that we would go into Lowe's and pick the things that we think are going to improve our house or our lawn. It's all about what I like and what I need. We come, we get what we want. And then we leave. This individualistic mentality is enforced even more when you hear people nowadays saying things like, well, you don't need the church. You just need Jesus. I'll tell you right now, Jesus would not agree with that statement. Not at all. Throughout the whole Bible, we find God being talked about in relation to a group of people a whole lot more than we do of him in relation to just individuals. And the reason for that is that God himself is community. More commonly referred to as we know as the Trinity. He exists in perfect relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is no individualism in the nature of God. And we were saved in order to reflect his nature on earth. We cannot accurately do that just as individuals because that is not a part of of his nature. You see, God is so big and so multifaceted that it takes a big group of people to display him. Jesus is the only individual human who is able to display the glory of God the way it should be. We cannot do that on our own as individuals. Only Jesus could. Hebrews 1.3 says that he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. Colossians 2.9 says that in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So Jesus was the only individual who was able to do that. For us, we need each other in order to be able to do that. A lot of times you hear people talk about how their faith is, is a private matter. You know, my faith, I don't really talk about it a lot because I like to keep my faith private. Well, listen to me. If your faith is a private matter, then your faith is not Christianity. Plain and simple. First point in your notes. Christianity isn't meant to be private and individualistic. It is meant to be visible and communal. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 5 that no one puts a lamp under a basket 
They put it out on the lampstand so it'll give light to everyone in the house. And then in the very next verse, right after that, verse 16, he says, So let your light shine so that other men may see it and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That can't happen if all we do is make our faith a private matter just for us. Contrary to what our conformity to the world would lead us to believe, the gospel isn't primarily about God saving individuals. It's primarily about God saving a family. And if your hope is in Jesus Christ for salvation, then you are a part of that family. I've included something in your guide there that I believe is very important for us to understand. You see, there are three safeguards that God has put in place to ensure that we are able to process life from his perspective. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, remember, one of the first consequences of Adam and Eve's sin in the garden was that they were no longer able to see things the way that God sees them. They were no longer able to process life and the world around them from his perspective. When they rebelled and ate of the forbidden tree, Genesis 3, 7 says that their eyes were opened which means that their physical, their natural eyes were opened and their spiritual eyes were closed. Before, they were able to see things as God did. They were in perfect fellowship with him spiritually. But now they were limited to their own human and fallen ability to see life and the world around them. And so the best that they could do now was just speculate. And guess at things. They no longer had the revelation of God. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus came and restored what was lost in the garden. Through him, we are now able to see things as God does. That's what verse 2 here in Romans 12 was talking about when it says that for us to be able to know God's will. That's seeing things the way that God sees them. Processing life and the world around us from his perspective. And there are three main things that God has given us in order to help us do that. But one thing you got to know, it's all three of these things together. It's not like you can pick one out of these three, one or two of these things to go, well, well, I'll do it this way or I'll do it using this thing. No, it's got to be all three of them. And here are the three things. The scripture in front of you, the spirit inside of you, and the saints around you. Those are the three things that God has put in place to ensure that we are able to process life from his perspective. And they all have to be used in conjunction with one another. So far in this Roman series, we've pretty much addressed the first two. But now Paul is shifting to the third, the saints around you. If you've been attending E.T., For at least since the beginning of this year, you know that this is something that we've been putting a lot of emphasis on here. This is a big part of what we are about as a church. We want ET to function more like a family and less like a uh, do it yourself superstore. And so we have put things in place and we've tweaked some other things that we've already had in place in order to help us move in that direction. Things like our our Sunday school classes on Sunday morning and our B3 groups on Wednesday night 
and our life groups that meet in, in, in each other's homes. As the leaders and the staff of this church, all we can do is put things in place, try to create an environment in order to foster that community. How we function within that environment is what Paul is going to address here in chapter 12. Now then, like I mentioned earlier, you can't have verses 4 through 8 without first having verse 3. The things Paul talks about in this text here will not happen and cannot happen unless verse 3 happens first. What that means is that for us to be able to live in community the way that God designed us to, Paul takes care of the main thing that keeps community from happening, which is pride. For us to live together and relate to one another as a family the way God intended for us to, pride must be obliterated and humility has to be cultivated. So the next point in your notes is that pride is the number one enemy of community. And so Paul had to deal with that first before telling us how to reflect God's glory corporately. He says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Because if you do, community isn't going to happen. So let's look at this closer. Look at verse 4 and 5 again. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ. Paul is doing what he's done several times in, in different letters and uses this analogy of our physical bodies to, to illustrate how we're supposed to function as a family of God. We know that in order for our physical bodies to function in a healthy and beneficial way, it takes every single part of our body to be able to do its thing. Every part of our body is just as important as, as, as any other. Take your pinky toe, for example. If there was one part of our body that we could pick as being the least significant or maybe the least useful out of any other part of our body, the pinky toe would probably be a pretty popular choice. It's uh, one of the smallest parts of our external parts of our body. It's way down there on the bottom. And we usually don't ever think about it unless we're getting up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and we happen to catch it on a piece of furniture. And then when we do that, we find out immediately that the pinky bone is connected to the cussing bone. <laughs> or whatever it is that makes things just fly out of your mouth. <laughs> or so I'm told. <laughs> Other than that, pinky toe is pretty insignificant. So it would seem. I mean, do we really need it? I mean, if we lost our pinky toe, is it going to be that big of a deal? You bet it will be. I read an article the other day, which was on the Internet, so you know it has to be true. <laughs> it was actually on the Popular Science website, which is a pretty reliable source. And it was talking about the way our foot was designed and uh, how when we walk, it was designed for us to, to walk in kind of this tripod manner with the toe, the heel, and the, the big toe, the heel, and the pinky toe being the legs of that tripod. Well, what happens when you take out one leg of a tripod? 
the whole thing's gonna, going to fall down. And so the pinky toe is a very important part of the body. Yeah, you could live without it, but it's going to be a lot harder than when you had it. I mean, you're going to be able to get around, but it's going to be a struggle. This is what Paul is wanting us to understand in relation to how we function within the body of Christ. This seemingly least significant member of any church, of of any body, is just as important and just as crucial and as valuable as any other part. And this was a big deal to Paul, and he really wanted us to get this because he says almost this identical thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And spend some time just just talking about that and fleshing this out. Now I know that for each one of you sitting in here today. That Satan does his very best to convince you that you are not a significant part of this body. Of this family. He'll tell you all sorts of lies to convince you that you don't know enough, that you're not good enough, that you're not smart enough or experienced enough or or whatever. He wants you to believe that you aren't a valuable part of the body because if you believe that you've got nothing to give and nothing to offer, then you're not even going to try. And so coming to church for you is nothing but you coming to receive because you now think that you've got nothing to give. And so in cutting off or getting just one member of the body to not use their gifts, Satan succeeds in weakening the whole. That's how valuable and crucial each member is. Listen, I want every one of you to hear what I'm about to say next, and I pray that it sinks in. And that you will actually start believing it. I've said it before, but some of us need to hear things several times before it begins to sink in. And we believe it. But if you are a member, a regular tender of this church, or consider yourself a part of Evangelistic Temple in any way, it is only because God led you here and put you here. Scripture's clear about that. That God's the one that guides every one of your steps. So if you're here, it's because God saw to it to make sure that you would be here. And if he did that, it is because he believes that you have something that is important for the rest of the family. You have something that the rest of us desperately need. And if you aren't giving what the rest of us need, then we all suffer for it. And this church falls short of being all that it can be. And that's the truth of the matter. You might think, well, God is sovereign. And so he's going to accomplish his purpose in this church with or without me. Well, remember what I said last week, that God's sovereignty doesn't make what we do pointless. It makes it possible. And although, yes, he can accomplish his purposes in this church without you, the truth is that he doesn't want to. And you being here, him leading you here, is proof of that. Because if he didn't want to use you and his purposes for this church, you wouldn't be here. I promise you. He wants you to be a part of what he's doing in this church body. Because he's a good father, and he wants his kids to join him in the things that he does. Even though he's very capable of doing it all by himself, 
He wants his kids to join him like I talked about last week. Look again at this last part of verse 5. So we who are many are one body in Christ and each and individually members of one another. When I said that Christianity isn't intended to be individualistic, I in no way meant that individuality has no value to God. Because it most certainly does. And you can see that in the following verse. In verse 6 it says, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. This is a conscious effort on Paul's part to highlight our individual differences that God created us with. And so in this text, Paul is not minimizing our individuality in order to emphasize uh, the corporate aspect. What I believe he is saying is the last point in your notes, that our true identity is found in relation to the body of Christ. And what that means is this. If you ever wonder to yourself, what makes me different? What makes me special? What makes me important? The only way that you'll be able to answer those questions accurately is by discovering where you fit in the body of Christ. Because that's what God created and saved you for. Now think about that phrase again. Individually members of one another. What that means is, you know, I may be the pastor of this church, but I'm a part of you and you. I'm a part of you and 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 you are a part of me. How is that possible? Because of Jesus? Because his spirit lives in you and his spirit lives in me and that makes us a part of one another and dependent on one another. Here's the amazing thing about that. That's who I am. That's who you are. That's part of your identity. That's part of what it means to be in Christ. Which then means that my true identity cannot be known unless I serve you as I rely on Christ. And it means that your true identity can never be known unless you serve others in the body as you rely on Christ. If you remain an island unto yourself, disconnected from any real involvement and using the gifts that you, God has given you for the benefit of the rest of the body, you aren't really going to know who you truly are. Why? Because God created you and saved you for community. We don't hear that a lot in our American culture because we put such an emphasis on the power of the individual. We're all about being independent and individual and pulling our own selves up by our bootstraps. And that works in some aspects, but that is not a value in the kingdom of God. What's more valuable in the kingdom of God is that we work together and we're, we submit to one another in our humility and we rely on one another and we serve one another. And in that, God is glorified. 
Because he is so big and so glorious that it takes a big group of people to be able to display him. You know, this is one of the reasons why at the end of the service every Sunday, I know some of y'all hate it with a passion, why we hold hands together at the end of the service. It just represents and reminds us that, you know what, we're a part of one another, that we need each other. That's what that does. Verse 6 says that each of us have different gifts that God has given by his grace. What makes you a unique individual is all because of the amazing grace of God. You may not think so. You may not approve of the way that God has made you or the place that he has put you within the body. He may have made you a toe, and deep down you really want to be a head or something more visible than a toe. He may have made you a visible part, but you really want to be a toe and not be that visible at all and just kind of be in the background. You may think that by God making you different the way that he did, that he made a mistake or that he's cruel. You're probably just like the thousands just like you who wish that there was something different about them than they were. That God had made them differently somehow. But look, if you don't like who you are or how you are or where God has placed you in the body, I don't believe that's a self-esteem issue. I believe that is a God-esteem issue. You don't hold God in such high esteem that you're able to trust him with everything that he does, even with you. God wants you to see him for who he really is so that you'll be able to find that trust in him. Trust that you are individually a product of his amazing grace Trust that you are a gift to this church and that this church body needs you. You will discover that when you start coming to church, not to see what you're going to get, but to see what you can give. It will change your whole perspective, I promise. It will enrich your worship experience like you never thought it could. You know, many of you here in this church have been through Trace Diaz. For those of you who don't know what it is, it's three-day weekend that a great tool for growing closer to God and to others. We had several men out last weekend at the men's weekend. We've got several who are out today because the women's weekend is going on right now. Everyone who goes through that, that I know of, just receives a ton from the Lord. It is an awesome experience. I've been myself, and for everyone that I've I've talked to about it. They come back and find, find it, it's hard for them to find the words to describe the experience that they have because it was so powerful. But for those of you who have not only gone through it, but you've also gone back to serve at it, you know how much more powerful your experience was than when you went through it to receive, Right? Why? Because that's what God saved you and created you for. 
for you to use the gifts that he has given you to serve the rest of the body rather than just coming and receiving. I mean, that's a great example of how serving and giving you the body is what God desires, but uh, it doesn't just have to be trace deus. I believe it's even more important for you to do that in the church body that you belong to because there's a reason that why God has you here. And as great as many of you think coming in here on Sunday mornings and receiving is, as good as that experience is for you, it could be that much better if you would come looking for ways to give rather than just sitting and receiving. Use what God gave you as an individual. Use what makes you unique to help this family be that all be all that it can be, be all that God has called us to. It is one of the ways that God helps you to ensure that you can see things from his perspective. When you put that with scripture and rely on the Holy Spirit within you. And so my prayer is that we would transition our mindset, transition our perspective and our attitude the way that Paul transitions here between verse 3 and 4. That we would transition from me to we. And in doing so, we would see Jesus more clearly and display him more visibly to the world around us. Let's pray. God, I know that because of the culture that we do live in that places such a high value on individualism, God, this is a hard concept for a lot of us to grasp. Some of us, God, have personalities that are in direct conflict with this, and we'd much rather stay to ourselves than be involved in any way with a number of people. Lord, I know that that is just a residual effect of orphan mentality that we had for so long. Lord, it comes from believing a lie about who we are and who you are. So, Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to reveal truth to us, to wash out those lies, to help us be able to embrace this and see the absolute value and the absolute necessity of us as your people living in community, walking in community with one another. God, I pray that this church would be unique for many of the other ones in this country because we don't operate like a superstore but we operate like a family like the family of God is supposed to Lord this is the way that you have chosen to display your glory in this broken world so God I pray that we would get in on it Lord I pray for those in here that have bought into the lies that Satan throws at them that they are not valuable that they don't have use to this body, that they can't do anything, God, would you just stop that right now and let them hear you, the loving Father, just singing over them and pouring the truth into them about who you, who you have made them. 
Would you show us, Lord, clearly the gifts that you have given us that can be used for, for this family? And God, it's not for us. It's all for you and your glory. So, Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to have your way in the remainder of this time right now. Lord, would you just do a work in our hearts that you intend to do? Lord, get us out of our ruts that we tend to get in in life. Get us out of our routines, our pits, and get in on what you are doing, what you are calling us to. Lord, would you reveal yourself to us in such a way that we hold you in such high esteem that we trust you with everything in our life, even the things that make us different. God, I know this is on your heart, so I'm praying that you would put it on ours as well. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.